Good morning. We're super excited that you have, have come this morning, that you're worshiping with us. Awesome time of worship to, to start us off this morning. My name is Trent Santos. I'm the student pastor here. Uh, and, and today I, I have the privilege of bringing God's word to you. And I'm excited to be up here uh, to, to tell you what God has laid on my heart and how my life has been affected by God's word. And I'll get to communicate that to you. And, and, and my prayer for you is that God will also do this work in your heart and in your life. There's a few things we have to address before we really dive in this morning, though, okay? Number one, I'm used to speaking to teenagers, okay? So that means a couple things. Number one, I'm not going to be using big fancy words, okay? I'm, I'm not a theologian up here. I'm a student pastor. I talk to teenagers. Uh, so it's going to be down to earth. It's going to hopefully be easy to, to follow. Nothing fancy, okay? Number two, I'm not from around here. You've probably already picked up on that just few, from the few words that I've already said, okay? So if, not saying that I will, but if in my sermon I were to say something along the lines of, hey guys, will you come over to my house? We can drink some pop. What I really mean is, hey y'all, y'all want to come over yonder to my place and we can drink some coke? <laughs> All right, good. There's a laugh. That's my big joke this morning, okay? So you're helping me right now. No, I'm kidding. So don't, don't let those things distract you, okay? The way that I talk, the way that I uh, say a few things. I'm also, I was born in Sao Paulo, Brazil. My parents are missionaries. If you cut off a Brazilian's arms, they can't talk, okay? So I'm going to be up here. I'm going to be doing this stuff, okay? Don't let that distract you. That's just uh, the way I talk to teenagers, and I'm going to talk to you guys that same way. Uh, but as we look to God's Word, let's, let's really dial in. Anytime I'm on stage to preach God's Word, it doesn't matter who the audience is, I feel the burden of the responsibility of being one who is going to communicate God's Word. And I hope that every time you walk into this building and you're sitting in those chairs and you're looking at the person up here who is preaching, I hope that you feel the burden of, of hearing God's word preached. This isn't something we should take lightly. Over the past several weeks, we've been in a series called Neighbor. And I hope that as you've walked out of here the last four weeks, I hope that you have applied what we've studied to your life. I hope that you have a passion to see your literal neighbors come to know who Jesus Christ is. I hope you feel the burden of what it means and what, what a privilege it is for you to be hearing God's word preached. And I hope you're not just hearing words, but that you're taking and that you're applying it to your life. God's living word. I hope that over this past week you prayed and you were able to find opportunities to make Jesus' name known. Next week we're going to be hearing from Pastor Higgs. He's one of the, the church planners for Cornerstone Community Church. It's, it's going to be exciting. There's so many ways for us to be involved between your neighbor that we've been talking about for the last four weeks and then next week we'll be talking about Cornerstone Community Church and how we get to be a part of what's happening there and how we can be a part of what God will do right here in Davidson County, right, right in Lexington. There's so many opportunities for us to go and be a part of what God is doing. But if we don't understand what it means to go, 
then we're going to end up missing these opportunities. And so today is going to be all about go. In March, I started a series with our, with our students in our student ministry on Wednesday nights called Disciple. And we should have that graphic up there. Disciple. One of the definitions of the word disciple from Scripture is an imitator of their teacher. And so we have slowly and chronologically gone through the four Gospels in the New Testament, and we've been looking specifically at the lives of Jesus' inner circle, Jesus' 12 disciples. And we've been applying uh, principles that we see in their lives and, and their ministry with Jesus, and sometimes what they should have done and what they didn't do, so kind of a how not to, but we have studied their lives and we've studied how to apply that to, to our lives. What does it look like for me to be a disciple of Jesus Christ today? What does it look like for you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ today? Because we can, we can come in here, we can talk, we can say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and we throw this word Christian around like it doesn't mean anything. But what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And so, real quickly, we're going we're gonna to throw up here on, on the slide, we're gonna, I'm going to show you the past nine weeks of study that we've done with uh, the student ministry, and then we're going to dive in. And what I'm doing today is I'm concluding this series. So we've been in it for nine weeks. Today's session number 10 in this series called Disciple, and we're going we're gonna to be diving in, okay? Each week I give the, the students a disciple principle. So we take a passage of Scripture— and then at the end, I say, so here is your disciple principle for this week. And so these are the passages and the disciple principles for the past nine weeks. Matthew four eighteen through 22, disciples follow Jesus immediately. In week two, disciples rejoice in their identity in Jesus. Week three, disciples desire to imitate Jesus. Week four, disciples cry out to Jesus during the storm. In week five, we saw that disciples must never overlook the power of Jesus in any circumstance. In week six, disciples' faith in Almighty God is greater than their fear of temporary hardship. Week seven, disciples give themselves to the teaching of Jesus and submit themselves to God's word. In week eight, disciples choose each day to follow Christ no matter the cost. And then in week nine, disciples understand their need for Jesus and depend fully on him. So this is, this is what we've studied ever since March all the way up until now. This is what we've been studying in our student ministry. What does it mean today for, for you and for me to be not, not just a Christian in, in this general term that we, we throw around loosely, but what does it mean for us to be disciples of Jesus Christ? And so today is session number 10, and I, I normally wait till the end to give you the, the disciple principle, but today I'm going to give it to you right here at the beginning. And so here we go. Session number 10, your disciple principle is this. Disciples make disciples. Disciples make disciples. And we're going to be looking at a well-known passage this morning out of Matthew chapter 28. It's known as the Great Commission, so if you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. We'll also have it up on the screen so you can follow along. I'm going to go ahead and read that. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So powerful, powerful statement by Jesus here. We, we, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this uh, known, it's known as the Great Commission. This is, this is Jesus commissioning his disciples to, get, to go and make disciples. And so I know because I've been in church my whole life, I was born a Christian, just kidding. I've been in church my whole life. All right, good, you're still with me. And I know that it's easy when you get to a passage like this. So we're in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. You've heard it, you know it. And I know that it's easy for you right now to say, okay, we've got this goofball on stage preaching. I know this passage already. It's 9.16, here we go. I get to turn off for the next 20 minutes and, uh, and I don't have to pay attention because I already know this stuff. And I just want to challenge you this morning to not do that. Don't disengage with this passage of Scripture just because you've heard it before, but allow God's Word, which is living, which I, I fully believe, and allow God's Word to, to seep in and work in your life this morning. The Great Commission, go and make disciples. So Jesus, just to give you kind of the context here, Jesus has just been crucified Okay, he's been crucified. He was placed in a tomb, but then he rose again, right? We just, we just sang that awesome song, that, that tomb was borrowed for three days. So everything the disciples had ever, ever heard about Jesus and ever heard preached, preached from Jesus had been challenged by, by these events, okay? The, to watch Jesus be crucified and placed in a tomb, but then he, he rose again, and so everything that they believe has been challenged. They've heard the good news of Christ's resurrection, and now we get to our passage, okay, that starts in, in verse 16. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down verse 16, 17, 18. We're going to go kind of quickly through because then we're going to spend the, the bulk of our time in verse 19 and 20. Okay, so in verse 16, uh, we see that they're going to go meet Jesus on a mountain. This is, this is common. It's not surprising. And students, especially, you know that from our study over the last nine weeks, we've seen so many of the stories that we've looked at have happened on a mountain. Jesus often retreated to a mountain to pray and spend time alone with, with God, and he often would go up to the top of a mountain or the top of a hill to, to teach because he'd have a multitude, sometimes even thousands of people, and so he'd go up to the very top so that he could, he could speak out, and so it's not uncommon that he appointed a mountain where he wanted to, to meet his disciples in this passage. In verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him. Their teacher that they had followed so closely for a matter of years, who they had seen get beat, get crucified, get placed in a tomb, but then he rose again, he defeated death, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, some doubted, but when they saw him, they worshipped him. There was this doubt of, of, you know, we saw Jesus do so many miracles, but could, can he really raise from the dead? And, but when they saw him, they worshipped him. In verse 18, the, the authority that Jesus refers to, in verse 18, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This authority he's referring to is in fulfillment of prophecy in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And so by Jesus' obedience to death and by Jesus' victory over death, then he has this authority fulfilling that prophecy 
And then he moves on with this, this great commission. <laughs> and it is a great commission. And so in, in verse 19, okay, we're going to start. We're going to start in verse 19. Here we go. Go. Okay, we're going to stop right there. All right, so that word go, it's, it's such, a, such a small word in our Bible, but it, it is so packed with so much power. And so I want to talk to you guys about the, the original Greek and what this word go meant. This word was commonly used and, and in reference to an army marching. It was a military word. It, it had this, uh, th- this idea of, of constant movement, right? If an army is marching, it's constant movement. If one soldier stops, it's going to disrupt the entire line of marching soldiers. And so it's this, this constant movement. It's never stuck. It's never stagnant go make disciples. So these are, these are marching orders. This is the language, the powerful language that Jesus was using. And can you imagine, I, when, when anytime I'm looking at these stories, I always like to, to place myself in the story. Can you imagine how the disciples felt, right? Where they're looking at each other, right? Peter's looking at Andrew. Andrew's looking at John. I mean, if, if this movement, if this Jesus movement was going to move on from that mountain, it depended on the willingness of these 11 guys right here. Can you just imagine how monumental this would have been when Jesus uses this military term, go, march, fight, and make disciples? You and I are here today because these guys were obedient to this commission. Because they were obedient and they made the name of Jesus known and it has been known now for a couple thousand years. And it started with these guys right here when Jesus said, go and make disciples. It would have been, been a, a heavy, just an utter conviction in, in the lives of, of these 11 disciples that if this movement, this Jesus movement is going to live on, then it depends on us following these marching orders to go and make disciples. They had watched Jesus obey his Father, God. They had watched Jesus obey to the extreme, to be crucified. And now many of them, most of them, would be paying that same price. Most biblical scholars agree that 10 out of the 11 disciples right here that heard this great commission were martyred for the name of Jesus. And so they followed Jesus who paid the ultimate price for what the Father had called him to do. And now Jesus' disciples would also pay that ultimate price. And these guys, they weren't anything special. If, if you go back and you look and, and read about the, who the disciples were, they were fishermen, tax collectors. These guys were, they, they weren't rabbis, right? In, in this day, rabbis were the ones who had disciples. They had followers. Fishermen didn't have followers. But Jesus says, go. And it's not just go, it's go, march, fight. A military term, go and make disciples. And what is a disciple? 
according to our definition that we looked at earlier, an imitator of their teacher. And so what would a, a disciple's disciple be? If we changed our graphic to, to fit this passage, it would look something like, like this on the screen. Disciple of a disciple is an imitator of an imitator of their teacher. So go make disciples, right? And so a disciple of one of the disciples of Christ, an imitator of an imitator of the teacher. And so here I am up on stage challenging you, you know, Rich Fork Church, we got to go make disciples. But here's the problem. Do we really want two of you? And I know that's kind of funny, and it is. And, and like, let, let's think about this in a different sense, okay? In the kingdom that is my lawn, if there were two of me, man, we'd be getting a lot of work done, okay? If you drive by my house right now, like, half of my lawn and, like, landscaping and stuff has been worked on recently, and you can tell because everything got chopped down. Everything else did not, and it's all overgrown as tall as the house, okay? If there were two of me, both of those would be done. If I had a disciple who, who mimicked me, who imitated me in the way that I worked in my lawn, man, we would be getting work done in the kingdom of my yard work, okay? An imitator of an imitator, right? But then what about, what about the kingdom of God? If there were two of you, okay, and this is a personal question, if, if there were two of you on this earth, would God's kingdom be affected at all? See, it doesn't make any sense for me to stand up here and say, hey, you guys have to go make disciples and, and preach all on this great commission and everything. If, if you're not a disciple, if you're not sold out for Christ, if you're not out trying to reach people, then, then why would we want two of you? Why would we want two of me? If you made a disciple, if you had a disciple, if someone was your disciple and, and an imitator of you, would the life of that person look like the life of Christ? Because this is what we're called to do, and this is the question. Let's take this analogy of, of our marching orders. Let's, let's take this another, uh, another step. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, there's a, there's, there's a well-known passage about the armor of God. And we're encouraged by Paul in this passage to put on the whole armor because we are, our battle is against principalities, powers, darkness, darkness, spiritual hosts. And then he starts listing what this armor is. And there's the belt of truth. There's the breastplate of righteousness. And then there's this, this incredible picture in verse 15 of the shoes. And we've got verse 15 up on, on the screen of the, of the shoes, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This word for readiness in the Greek, it is only used in the Bible this one time. It means that the gospel of Christ, so everything that, that what we believe is founded on, that that gospel of Jesus Christ is, is the firm footing of the believer. And, and if that is your firm footing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, then your life, your actions, the way that you live, the way that you talk, the way that you love, is a testimony to that gospel that is your firm footing. 
your walk is worthy of the gospel that is your firm footing. And then that passage goes on. There's the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Paul ends by challenging believers to always pray, to always persevere. And then he asks for prayer for himself to be bold enough to proclaim the gospel. And so Jesus commands us in Matthew 28 to go, and it's a military term. It's, it's our marching orders. Go and make disciples. And then Paul urges us to put on the armor of God, including the shoes that is the readiness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the firm footing, that the firm foundation, the rock on which we stand is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And if the gospel is not our foundation and our life is not worthy, our walk is not worthy of this gospel, how will we reach our neighbor? How will we make disciples if the only time you ever look like a believer and the only time I ever look like a disciple of Christ is when we walk through the doors of Rich Fort Church? We come in here, we know all the songs, we know what to do, we give money to the offering, we do the things that we think we're supposed to do. And as soon as we walk out those doors and go, go about our week, our life no longer looks like we even know who Jesus is. If I, if I had a warrior up here, okay, a soldier from, from Bible times, and he's up here, and he's got on a helmet, he's got a sword, he's got a shield, he's got all kinds of armor and everything, and then I say, all right, I just need a, one volunteer, one volunteer, you're going to fight this guy, okay? So you come up here, now you're just going to walk up here and be like, okay, let's go. Okay, he's got a sword and a shield, all this armor. No, you're not, you're not going to want to fight him until you have a chance to go get ready, until you have a chance to go put on some armor yourself and get a bigger shield and a bigger sword, and then you'll fight this guy, right? Unless little boy David is in here and he's like, no, I'll just take my sling and my stone. I got this, right? If, I, if you were going to come up here and fight this warrior— you would want to be prepared. Shame on us for not being prepared to go and make disciples. Shame on us for wanting to wear that helmet of salvation because that benefits us. Maybe the shield of faith because it's good to be protected, but we're not, gonna, we're not willing to put on the shoes and be ready. We're not willing to take up the sword of the Spirit to go make disciples. Shame on us. Jesus has given us marching orders, but we have lost the conviction that these 11 disciples felt that day. We've lost it. Christianity is easy for us. Right here in, in Thomasville, North Carolina, Christianity is easy for us. Pretty much anybody you, you walk up to in the grocery store, anywhere, everyone's going to know, everyone has heard the name of Jesus at least. We've lost the feeling of if not me, then who? If not me, then who will reach these people for Christ? We have lost that conviction. 
We no longer hold ourselves responsible or accountable to be reaching others. And this is why, if you've, if you've been really paying attention, if, if you've been really allowing God's word to work in your life over the, over the course of the last few weeks, then you have been challenged by this neighbor series we were in. I have been challenged by this neighbor series that we've been in for the last four weeks. Because I, we, we have become con- content in our stagnant and in our stuck walk with Christ. Half the time we should call it our stand with Christ because we're not going anywhere. And we've become content in that. But that is not an option, church. We have been commissioned to go. And that, that's not a simple, easy go. That is to go, to fight, to make disciples. And how do we do that? By baptizing them. Baptism is the outward expression of the inward change. It's a step of obedience and commitment by a believer. It's one way to, to let the world know that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I have surrendered my life to Christ. So this passage says by baptizing them and then by teaching them. And that's the practical level. We're not just pushing people, hey, surrender your life to Christ, surrender your life to Christ. And once they do, we're like, okay, good, now you got this right? It's not like that. We're, we're teaching them. We're coming alongside of them to walk beside them, to help them hear and to understand the teaching from Scripture. This is disciple-making. It's relational. Do you really want to reach your neighbor for Christ? Do you really want that? Do you really want to impact your community for Christ in the name of Jesus? then you have to go. And you have to go with conviction, with the conviction that these 11 guys felt that day when Jesus originally stood before them and said, go and make disciples. You have to have that conviction. You have to have that desperation. You have to have that love for your neighbor and for your community. And if not you, then who? You have to have the shoes, the readiness of being founded on the story, on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yeah, that makes us feel timid. It makes me feel timid. It makes you feel timid. But what's the very last promise of Christ in this passage? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus being God could say this because of God's omnipresence. If you are a believer, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit. The third person in the Trinity, you have the Holy Spirit with you. And he is with you even to the end of the age. And so throughout the month of May, we studied and applied the idea of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And for me, this this really helped open my eyes to opportunities I have every day to share the love of Jesus Christ. And I hope that you have felt that way as well. In all practicality, this, this four-week series we just completed is the, the working out of this great commission that we're looking at today. We have our marching orders. We are to be making disciples. You are to be making disciples. And if you make a disciple and they're an imitator of you, are they going to look like Christ? An imitator of an imitator of Christ. 
Next week, again, we're going to be hearing about opportunities to be involved with Cornerstone Community Church, a church that we, Rich Fork, are helping to plant in Lexington. Are we just going to hear that and assume that, oh, well, that's awesome, but someone else will, will go. Someone else will do what needs to be done. Are we going to hear it with a burden and with a conviction of, if not, if not me, then who? If not you, then who? Are we going to hear that, and are we going to be ready to march as we are commissioned to do? We have become so numb to the fact that we walk by, are waited on by, and have small talk with people who are currently headed to an eternal future separated from God, and we interact with these people every day, and we are not brokenhearted because of it. And why? We are to be making disciples. We are to be spreading this good news that is the firm footing of the believer to everyone that we come into contact with. There's a quote I'm going to read to you guys. Christians need to understand that the world is changing and that Christianity needs to get back to the basics of love your neighbor. Love your neighbor regardless of their color, regardless of their cleanliness, regardless of their lifestyle, regardless of their political stance, regardless of their understanding of God. It can't be clean, English-speaking, American Christianity. It can't be, I'll only take a photo with someone who looks different than me if they're in a different country and I'm on a missions trip. If you're going to be good, then you have to be consistently good, equally and unconditionally, or nobody is going to listen. Wow. That's powerful. That's challenging. That, that should shake us to our core. But what if I told you, do, do you know who said that, by the way? You probably don't. What if I told you that the person who said that is not even a Christian, is not even a believer? What if I told you that the person who said that has absolutely no desire to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? This quote was taken from a conversation that I had with a good friend of mine who is openly atheist. And this is the way that the world views and values Christianity based on what? My lifestyle. Based on your lifestyle. And guys, this isn't something I'm Googling and showing you some YouTube video of that's distant and far. I have a friend who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that person dies today, they will be eternally separated from God. That's the truth. And if that doesn't break my heart, then there is something very wrong with me and my approach to my relationship with Christ. And we all have people like that in our lives. And why? Because we have stopped fighting for Christ. We have lost the conviction of going and making disciples. Would an imitator of you look like Christ? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul challenges the Corinthian church, and he says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. 
be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Could, could I say that up here on stage right now? Could I say, hey, listen, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Could you say that to your friend who's an atheist and has no desire to know who Jesus is? We have our marching orders. We are to go and make disciples. But we'd rather stay and be stagnant. We'd rather keep the incredible truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to ourselves. We are to put on the readiness that is the firm footing of the believer, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here in a minute, we're going to be singing another couple songs, and we do it every week, and it's our time of invitation. You guys know how this works. I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to ask the tough questions in your life. Maybe you're realizing, man, I've never even given myself to Christ. How am I going to make disciples of Jesus Christ if I'm not even a disciple of Jesus Christ myself? Then grab someone that you know is seasoned in God's word, come forward or, or right there in your chair, wherever you need to be, and pray with them. And let today be the day that you start your relationship with Christ so that you can go and march and make disciples for Christ. And maybe you're thinking, man, I, I love the Lord, but I have completely lost that burden and that conviction that is my responsibility to go and make disciples. Then take time today to pray that God would refresh this commission in your life. If we are truly passionate about shaping our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ, then it's time for us to take pride in our Jesus and go and march and fight and make disciples of all nations. Let's pray.